there is at least one person on this planet who will attempt to sleep for the next 30 days in homage to a song that will never be used as bed music in the podcast version of Charlottesville Community Engagement, but that's only due to copyright concerns. It is now September 1st, 2022, and the equinox is three weeks away, so if you like your early sunrises, better get them in while you can. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, resting appropriately in between episodes. On today's program, today is the 100th anniversary of the city manager form of government in Charlottesville. The Yunkin administration has laid out a pathway to leave the regional greenhouse gas initiative, and the Albemarle Planning Commission learns more about how a reset zoning modernization will look like. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, Camp Albemarle has for years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities, Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge, a structure built in 1941 by the CCC and used by every fourth and fifth grade student in Charlottesville and Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. If this campaign is successful, Camp Albemarle could operate year-round. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarleva.org donate. On this day, 100 years ago, a three-person Charlottesville City Council sat for the first time in a new term, and soon afterward appointed Boyd Bennett to serve as the first city manager for Charlottesville. Bennett had been the public works director in Lynchburg, according to an account in the Alexandria Gazette at the time. Since that time, just under a dozen people have held the position, which serves as the chief executive officer of the city government under the supervision of the elected council. Bennett only lasted two years, but his successors all had longer terms, including that of James Bowen, who served from 1948 to 1970. He was followed by Cole Hendricks, who would hold the job for nearly 25 years. The position is currently held on an interim basis by Michael C. Rogers, whose contract with the city is actually held by a company he works for, called the Robert Bob Group. There were a string of interim and short-term managers once the contract of Maurice Jones expired at the end of July of 2018. The contract with the Robert Bob Group extends through the end of the year. Governor Glenn Youngkin has renewed efforts to remove Virginia from an interstate compact intended to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Within an hour of taking office in January, Youngkin issued several executive orders, including one seeking departure from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. 
However, the Republican governor was unable to leave without the General Assembly's approval, as party control is split across both houses of the Assembly. Now, however, Youngkin's appointees now have the edge on the seven-member State Air Pollution Control Board, and he sent Acting Secretary of Natural and Historic Resources Travis Boyles to outline the new plan to withdraw from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI. REGI is a bad deal for Virginia. Whether you agree with the framework and principles of a cap-and-trade system, the way REGI has been implemented in Virginia does not work as an effective means for greenhouse gas reductions. Virginia joined REGI after action by the General Assembly in 2020 allowed it to do so as part of the Clean Economy Act. At the time, Democrats held both the House of Delegates and the Senate. Power generators of over 25 megawatts must purchase credits if they exceed certain emission thresholds. The state of Virginia has received over $378 million in proceeds, with 45% of that amount mandated to go toward flood control and other mitigation efforts. Voyles said that money comes from ratepayers who should not have to pay the higher costs. We need to remember that Virginians do not need a regressive energy tax through REGI to fund important programs on resiliency and energy efficiency. While important, these are not the goal of REGI that it was meant to achieve. Boyles said REGI does not work because those funds are not going directly to ratepayers. He said the administration will use the regulatory process to repeal Virginia's participation in REGI and will not renew the contract with the organization at the end of 2023. The administration will put forth in the coming weeks a notice of intended regulatory action, or NORA, which will repeal the trading rule and end Virginia's participation in REGI. While an immediate exit from REGI would provide cost savings to some consumers, an orderly withdrawal from REGI at the end of our control period and contract will provide greater regulatory certainty and help prevent market fluctuation in the pricing. One of former Governor Ralph Northam's appointees to the Air Pollution Control Board said it is premature to know much of any impact Reggie has had. Here is Dr. Lornell Tompkins. We have only had one year worth of information, which probably hasn't been fully vetted as of yet, and yet you're saying it's bad. We don't seem to have enough information to make a decision. Tompkins said utility costs are increasing for reasons in addition to Reggie. She asked Voyles why the administration isn't seeking reform through the General Assembly. Voyles responded that the administration wants to take action. This is before the Air Board, uh, this is before DEQ, and this is something that we can't address immediately. And, and that's what we've set out the process to do that. Um, so before we have any discussions about legislative action, um, we are looking at actual things that the administration can do to, to lessen the cost of energy for everyday Virginians. One question is whether even this route will pass constitutional muster. For more on that topic and more on the discussion, read an article in the Virginia Mercury that you can find in the newsletter. The next auction for Reggie is scheduled for September 7th, and the auction list has been amended to reflect that Pennsylvania will not participate. That state had joined Reggie earlier this year, but the two main political parties disagree on whether it should do so going forward. A legal challenge has stopped the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection from selling any of its allowances this time around. Stay tuned and let's see how it works out. 
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, the Charlottesville Jazz Society wants you to know about the upcoming return on September 15th of Dutch trumpeter Eric Floymans to Charlottesville with a concert at the Irving Theater in the new Code Building. Eric Floymans will perform as part of a duo with the remarkable accordionist Will Holzhauser. They'll play evocative, folk-inspired, original compositions that mix European and American influences, plus a few choice covers such as a ballad by Prince. The pair are on an American tour, promoting their new live album, Two for the Road. For ticket pricing and purchases, visit seavillejazz.org. Charlottesville Jazz Society supporters will get a discount. And thank you to the subscriber who gets a shout out because he's both a Substack subscriber and a Patreon supporter. There are many ways to support this program and get your message out there. Contact me and we'll figure out a way to make that happen. One more segment today, and tis always this season for serious and seriously lengthy discussions about land use and planning issues in the community, and there's a lot to get through. With the help of the firm EPR, Albemarle County is in the midst of reviewing its comprehensive plan in a process known as AC44, but work also continues on a modernization of the county's zoning code. Charles Rapp, the county's deputy director of community development, said a previous work session with the planning commission earlier this year caused staff to rethink their approach. Taking that feedback from the commission and from staff and everything we've we've learned, we wanted to take an opportunity to uh, reset and think about our approach to this, knowing that this is going to be a multi-year endeavor. Uh, and we need to pair this with the comp plan uh, and kind of reassess what sections we're going to hit and how we're going to uh, address the different changes so that we do this in a much more comprehensive and effective format. Albemarle has hired the Berkeley Group to help with the update of the zoning code. In the late winter of 2021, supervisors asked for the two projects to be done concurrently, but Principal Darren Coffey said the process may work better if one informs the other. So you, the Planning Commission, who are the gatekeepers of all things land use, are dealing with two major projects. And so by us hitting the reset button and reordering how to do this uh, the right way, um, we're letting the comp plan get a little bit ahead intentionally. There are several tasks to be accomplished during the modernization of the zoning ordinance, according to Rebecca Cobb, a planner with the Berkeley Group. One, make sure the ordinance is in compliance with the Code of Virginia. And then in terms of modernization, um, making the ordinance more user-friendly, user-friendly for staff, for you all, and for the general public. So in those terms, we want to clarify language, anything that's difficult to understand. Let's put it in plain English for everybody to understand. Cobb said there's a lot missing from the zoning code that does not address modern development standards, in part because it's not been updated for many decades. She said the updated ordinance also needs to implement whatever visions come out of the comprehensive plan. Under this reset, the first phase of the zoning update begins now and will include private meetings with planning commissioners. 
We're going to be moving into investigation. So we're going to be looking at your ordinance in October and November. We will be having interviews and then we'll have another work session with you all in December to talk about the diagnostic report. Keep in mind, the city is continuing to finalize its zoning diagnostic and approach report. Albemarle will hold an open house in January on its report, followed by more detailed work sessions on specific aspects of zoning. Commissioner Karen Firehawk of the Samuel Miller District said some items are already in the comprehensive plan and likely won't change. She pointed out a larger issue with how and whether big ideas are implemented in Albemarle. I'm not here to debate our lighting standards on the diet, but um, there's a history to that. The comprehensive plan calls for us to update our lighting ordinance. Um, we have a dark skies goal. So we have all the fodder already in the comprehensive plan. That's actually not the issue. It's just that since we did the last comprehensive plan, stakeholders have been calling for the county to update their ordinance. They volunteered to help with roundtables. They have gone out and gotten experts in lighting who would probably cost hundreds of dollars per hour to volunteer their services. And yet the county's response has been, we don't have time for this. And the board's response has been, is this really a priority? Which makes people upset because the comprehensive plan says that we're going to do this. Firehawk said historic preservation is another topic with strong language in the comprehensive plan, but with little to no regulatory presence in the zoning ordinance. There's been uh, some folks who would like to see a historic preservation ordinance. Right now, we, as you, I'm sure you know, we have no way to protect a historic building from being torn down. Cobb said there are no specific timelines yet for when specific conversations will happen, but the shape of those conversations will become better known after the interviews are conducted. Commissioner Lonnie Murray of the Whitehall District is troubled by the usage of the word modernization. Partially because we just went through a situation where we found out that our water protection ordinance was eviscerated um, through a you know code cleanup modern, modernization um, process where neither the Board of Supervisors nor the public understood the clear implications of what that code cleanup was. I'm still working out the details of exactly what Murray meant on that, and I am doing the research and more on that topic in the near future. In fact, a lot more on this entire topic of Albemarle land use as I continue to produce Charlottesville community engagement to keep track of these sorts of things. Another member of the Planning Commission wanted more clear integration of the Comprehensive Plan Review and the Zoning Code update. Here is Fred Missel, who represents the Scottsville District. And maybe this is my project management brain. I think it'd be fun to see sort of an overlapping schedule that had those touch points that helped us understand how that process was going to be combined and, and informing each other. And make sure that you're subscribed to this newsletter to follow along with the process. And please ask me questions and I will try to help. I am independent. I am not hired by Albemarle County to do any of this work. But I am here to uh, hopefully share what I know uh, in these stories and perhaps in questions. Uh, but do keep in mind, I'm not here as an advocate. I am just here to explain what's going on and how you can get involved. But there's no longer anything left in this episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement to get involved with. It's over. And my ongoing quest to get these out in the early morning has so far not been successful this week. 
but I'm still hopeful that eventually this will be a morning newsletter. I could tell you the reasons why this struggle is real, but I can also tell you to wait another month to see how things are that first week of October. But for now, it's the first week of September, and this has been installation number 425. We're halfway to number 950, which I can assure you will not be ready by the first of this October. In order to get that far along, Charlottesville community engagement does depend on paid subscriptions, and you can join the growing list of people who were keeping this work afloat. If you pay for a subscription through Substack, Ting will match the first payment. That could be $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. For 50 a year, you'll get first look access to some stories on the site, as well as the knowledge you're helping me to pay attention each and every day. $200 a year, you get shout outs. And if you sign up through a link in the newsletter, you'll get a free standard installation, your second month for free, and a $75 downtown mall gift card. Enter the promo code community for full effect. Music in the podcast version comes from a musical entity known as Frocky, a musical entity that just had a birthday, and I neglected to indicate awareness, so this brief message will just have to do. You can celebrate by purchasing the album Regret Everything. That's available on Bandcamp, and you know where that link is. It's in the newsletter. I'll be back tomorrow with more information. Thank you so much for listening, and goodbye, stay safe, and... Uh, uh, wake me up when September ends. I'd never got what that meant. September's my favorite month. It's cool again, you know? Anyway, thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.